So this morning, if I may, I would like to once again encourage you and exhort you in the Lord to stand firm, to continue to fight the good fight of faith, to continue to stay in the race and run the course that is set before you. Why do we need encouragement and exhortation in this hour? Because we do have an enemy. We have an adversary who roams about trying to discourage us, trying to distract us, trying to derail us, trying to defeat us, and ultimately trying to destroy the plans and purposes of our God, which is to use us, his body, his church, to advance the kingdom of God in this hour, to push out the powers of darkness and usher in his marvelous light, that the knowledge of the glory of him would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I would say to you today that I am sharing nothing new. But the question is and always will remain, do we do what we already knew? So if I may, I'd like to ask you some questions today. And the questions I ask, I ask of myself and I ask of you. Questions for you to ponder and to meditate upon and also questions to challenge us and hopefully transform and change us. And the first question I would like to ask is this. In our Christian walk, in this journey of faith, do we need a backup plan? In our Christian walk, in this journey of faith, do we need a backup plan? And I would propose to you that the answer is yes indeed. We do need a backup plan. And I'm not talking about plan B, if plan A doesn't succeed or doesn't work out. I'm talking about the backup plan. Who has my back? Who's in charge here? Who's in control? Who's backing me up? Who has the authority, the legal right, the legal entitlement to determine the outcome in every situation? In other words, who has the final say? Jesus does, and he is our backup plan. He is our backup plan. And if we resort to any other plan, we are setting ourselves up for failure, and we are being disobedient to his word. Therefore, the key to the church's success in this hour is understanding that backup plan, understanding the authority, the legal right we have under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And to understand that, we need to understand that there is a difference between authority and power. They are two separate entities, yet they work together in tandem, operating with one another. And unfortunately, a lot of translations of the Bible, especially the King James Version, uses the words interchangeably, which is not good, it adds confusion. And it's important for us to know the difference if we're going to make a difference in this world. And basically, authority is the right, the legal entitlement to rule, whereas power is the strength, the force, the ability to accomplish a task. Authority releases power. P 
power is that which operates, demonstrates, carries out, and enforces the authority that is behind it. Authority without the power is meaningless, it's fruitless, it's of no effect. And where God and Satan are concerned, power has never been the issue. The issue has always been authority. And for us to better understand this concept, let's talk about polar opposites. And if I would say to you, good, you would say to me, bad. If I would say to you, rich, you would say to me, poor. If I would say to you, day, you would say to me, night. If I would say to you, God, you would say to me, Satan. Most of the world, almost all of the world and most of the church would say Satan. But if we believe that lie, we have fallen into the web of Satan's deception. God has no equal opposing forces. He stands in a caliber, a measure, a dimension, all his own. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There is none like him. His power is matchless, it's immeasurable, and it cannot be equal. Now this does not negate the fact or nullify the fact that Satan does have power, but his power is limited and it will never exceed the power of our God. So to better understand this, let's ask ourselves some more questions. Now listen to this question, and nobody wants to answer them because they always think they're trick. But they make us think, so listen to this. Did Satan gain any power in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned and willfully chose to be disobedient to our God? Did Satan gain any power at the fall? The answer is no. His power stayed the same but his authority, his legal right to use that power and influence the earth did change. Now let's flip that and say, did Satan lose any power at the cross when Jesus was crucified and victoriously and triumphantly rose from the dead, did Satan lose any power? No, his power remained the same but his authority, his legal right, his legal entitlement to use that power did change. Are you starting to see the difference between authority and power? God's power and his authority have never changed. He is preeminent. He is the creator and the possessor of all of heaven and all of earth. The Bible tells us that he is life the essence of life, the existence of life in and of itself. The Bible says that we live, we move, we have our being in him. But he had a plan. And his original plan was to designate to man, to assign to man the legal right, the authority to rule upon the earth, to subdue it. 
If we read in Psalms 115, verse 16, this is what it decrees. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So let's go back and track this story. Let's go back before man was even created. Let's go back when Satan wanted to be equal with God. He became very prideful and jealous and envious of the praise, the worship, the honor, the glory, the power that was within God. And he wanted to be equal with God. And the Bible tells us that God has no favorites. He shows no partiality, but he has no equals. And in a flash of lightning, Satan was booted out of heaven. And then we move on in this story to where the earth was created, and man was created, and he was given that assignment. He was delegated that authority to rule, to reign, to subdue, and have dominion on the earth. But he forfeited his authority when he willfully, defiantly, disobediently chose to eat from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. He forfeited, he transferred his authority, Adam transferred his authority to Satan. Now Satan had the legal right. Now he could use his power to influence the earth. But God's plan was still in motion. God had a messianic plan and he foretold that to the enemy and to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3:15. And he said, the Lord God said to them, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he, Jesus Christ, shall bruise your head." A head is symbolic of authority. Jesus Christ is head of the church. We are his voice, his hands, his heat. But he is the head, he is the authority. And he's telling Satan right now, hey, I have a plan and it's still in motion. And it's a messiotic plan. And I'm telling you that there's a man that is coming who will bruise your head. He will take back the authority. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Man was the one who lost the authority. God never lost his authority. Man lost his authority, and man had to take back that authority. And the only way it could be taken back was through a man. So Jesus Christ came as the son of God and the son of man, and he took back that authority. And Colossians 2.15, confirms and assures us that the enemy has been disarmed. He has been crushed on his head. His authority has been removed. He disarmed the principalities and powers. He even went as far as to make a public spectacle and a display of them, triumphing over them in it, the cross. And at that point of victory, Jesus transferred the authority, the legal right to rule, to reign, to have dominion upon the earth and to do it back to his church, you and I, his body, his sons, his daughters. And I love 1 Corinthians 2. And listen to what this says here. 1 Corinthians 2, excuse me, 2, um, verses 6 through 8. 
However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. And listen to that word maturity because it's going to come up again and again this morning as we share. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. It's not the wisdom of this age. It's not the wisdom of this culture. It's not the wisdom of this world. It, nor is it the wisdom of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, a hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. And I love this. Which none of the rulers of this age knew For if they had known, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. His victory and triumph gave back to the church their authority to rule and reign upon the earth. The pain of Jesus' death was his to bear. The gain of his death now becomes ours to share. And 1 Colossians 1 verse 13 assures us that we are no longer under the authority of the enemy, but we have been transferred out of the enemy's rule and reign into the rule and the reign of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 decrees. He has delivered us from the power, and here is where, especially the New King James Version, does not use the original words of power and authority correctly. In the original transcripts, this should have read authority. He has delivered us from the authority, the legal right, the um, entitlement of Satan. He has delivered us from the authority of darkness, and he has conveyed us, transferred us, moved us into the kingdom of the son of his love. We have been taken out of this kingdom, the rule, the reign, the dominion, the authority of this kingdom into this kingdom. And the authority, the rule, the reign over us now is this backup plan. It is Jesus Christ. And there's only a few ways in which the enemy is able to get a foothold and deceive us and make us think that we're still under his authority. This is one way, through our own ignorance. The enemy knows the authority that we have, but believe me, he doesn't want us to know the authority that we have because he doesn't want us to utilize it. So through our own ignorance and not knowing the word and not knowing our entitlements, our rights, we sometimes forfeit that ability to rule and to reign and give the enemy a foothold. And the Bible says it's my people who perish for lack of knowledge. Another way to give the enemy a foothold is if we willfully, defiantly, continually engage in sin without a repentance, without a changing of a heart and moving in a whole other direction. And a third way would be through pride, thinking I can do this in and of myself, my own self-righteousness. That's what caused Satan in a flash of lightning to be kicked out of heaven. We cannot operate in pride. This is all about the Lord. And he has taken us out of this darkness and he has put us into this light. And at that moment of transfer, the Bible says that we are now new creatures in Christ. Our spirit man has been born again and everything, everything we need to advance the kingdom of God is complete. It's total, it's whole within us. Now guaranteed, some of that is in seed form. 
like all things spiritual, they have the potential to grow. We've been given a seed of faith, a seed of authority, and you know what? We get to determine how much we want that to grow, how much time we spend in presence of the Lord, how much time we spend in his word. We get to determine our own maturity. Increased intimacy with him brings increased submission to him. And increased submission to him brings increased maturity. And increased maturity will bring increased authority. And he has made us complete in him. Everything we need to advance this kingdom lies within us. And Colossians 2, verses 6 6 through 10 assures us of that. As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Be rooted and build up in him. Grow into your full maturity and keep establishing yourself in the faith as you have been taught, abounding it with much thanksgiving and joy and rejoicing. For in Christ, and beware, I caution you, he says. He's telling us, beware lest anyone, Satan, false religious teachers, the culture of the world around you, lest anyone come and try and cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. We are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. The heavenly father had a plan. Jesus Christ fulfilled that plan. And when he was on the cross, he said it is finished. And the father agreed, it is finished. And the father was completely satisfied with that plan. Now the question to us is, are we completely satisfied? Do we believe the plan Jesus was and is enough? Enough to make us enough. We have to believe that. We have to receive that. We have to experience, live it, carry it out if we are going to advance the kingdom of God in this hour because Jesus has a plan and his plan is us, the church the church of Jesus Christ, to advance his kingdom upon the earth. And Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, confirms that. Now this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Are we his disciples in this modern day? Absolutely. We are his disciples, and he's talking to us. He's talking to his disciples. This was after he was crucified, before he, and after he was crucified and resurrected, before he ascended and took his seat at the throne of the Father. This is what he's telling his his disciples, us. Jesus came and spoke to them, and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now you go, therefore, and you make disciples of all the nations, their people groups, their peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. For lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. So we ask ourselves, we're commanded and commissioned and instructed to go, 
but how do we go? There's many ways in which we go, but I'm only gonna talk about two today. We can go as ambassadors, which are representatives of his kingdom, and we can go as kings in the kingship of his kingdom. And 2 Corinthians 5:20 says this. Now then, we are ambassadors, we're representatives for Christ. As though God were pleading through us to the world around us, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. To be a representative of someone means that you are representing the person who sent you. And represent, represent, re means again. Represent, do it again, do it again, do it again. Everywhere we go, Jesus. Everywhere we go, I'm showing you Jesus. Do it again, represent me. Present me again and again. And if I don't know someone, how can I make him known? I can know of him, but I need to know him. I need to know his heart, his love, his compassion. I need to know his words, and that is crucial in this hour to know his voice, to recognize it from the clamor of the world out there, to hear his voice, to be able to discern it, and to know what he says. So many people are speaking and trying to tell us that this is truth, and it's acceptable, but it's compromise. And we need to understand and know his word, his voice, his word, his truth. And we need to know his will, his plans, and his purposes. And if we're not spending time with him in intimacy, if we're not spending time in his word, we will never be able to represent him. We have to know him in order to present him. And there was a time when I was a teenager when the world tried this representation it was during the Jesus movement, and it was the WWJD fad. And maybe I'm dating myself, but everybody wore WWJD on bracelets and WWJD on necklaces and insignias on their shirts. And it meant, what would Jesus do? And like that fad, like many other fads, faded out very quickly. Why? because it lacked the power and presence of Holy Spirit. Jesus is not necessarily an example that we are to follow. He is a life that we are to live. So we have to ask our question, is Jesus an addition to our lives? Or are we in submission to his life? Because increased intimacy will bring increased submission and increased submission will bring increased maturity. And increased maturity will bring increased authority. If we're going to present him to the world around us, we need to spend time in his presence. So Holy Spirit can discern and reveal to us what the need is in the circumstance we encounter. What does that person need Holy Spirit is the best gift giver in the world. He knows exactly what portion of the gift of Jesus Christ is needed to meet that need in that moment of time. And if we're not spending time with him, we're not gonna give the proper gift. Holy Spirit will reveal to us, do they need healing for a physical illness? Do they need healing for woundedness of the heart? 
Do they need to be delivered and set free from demonic strongholds and powers of darkness? Do they need encouragement? Do they need wisdom, counsel, instruction? Do you just need to listen and not say anything at all? They just need someone to talk to. Only Holy Spirit knows for sure, and he's the best gift giver. So let me kind of sum up this um, going as an ambassador or a representative, focusing on the word P-R-E-S-E-N-T, present. It has the same spelling, but it has different meanings. So listen to this. It all boils down to this. If I'm going to present him, I must be present with him so I can present the right present at the right time. And again, Holy Spirit is the best giver, gift giver. And if we do this under the power of Holy Spirit, Remember that fad lacked the power of Holy Spirit. But if we have the authority and the power operating in our lives, that present that we present, that gift of Jesus that we give becomes alive and the power of the Lord moves and that person receives what they need. We always minister in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We pray in the name of Jesus. We deliver demonic strongholds and cast them out in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus evokes or brings his presence into the situation and we are affirming that it's all about him. And you know what? Holy Spirit responds to that name. Angels respond to the name of Jesus. Even demons respond, they submit and they flee. And the song that we sang this morning, thank you, It was, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's about your glory and your fame and forgive me forever trying to make it anything about me. Jesus operated under the authority of his heavenly father. He had the legal right, the entitlement, and the power of Holy Spirit was released and flowed through him. And he made known to us not only the father's love, but he made known to us the Father's life, and he made known to us the Father's power. And in the book of Mark, if you read the book of Mark, every single miracle in the book of Mark was a demonstration of the authority that Jesus carried. He had authority over the religious holidays and the religious law and the observances of that day. He did things on days when the world said he wasn't allowed to do it. He had authority over nature. He calmed the winds and the wave. He had authority over sickness and disease. He liberated and set people free, restored them. He had authority over demons and evil spirits. He cast them out and people were free He had authority over sin. He had the power to forgive it. He had authority over death. He resurrected people from death unto life. He even had authority when he preached, when he taught. And you know what? The world marveled at his authority. They were astonished. They were filled with wonder at his authority. He possessed something that they had never seen or heard before. 
In fact, some were offended by him and others were so jealous and envious of him that it eventually led to his death. So here lies the question and the challenge to each one of us. Jesus represented the Heavenly Father to us. We are called to represent Jesus to the world. All of his love, and sometimes we just stop there, but we're called to represent all of his love, all of his life, and all of his power. We're called to share the full gospel. And if we're sharing the full gospel, we get the commission that goes along with it in Mark as well, that says go and preach and teach. And when you preach and teach about me, signs and wonders are gonna follow you. You're gonna heal the sick. You're gonna deliver those people that are in bondage by demonic strongholds and forces. So these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. We've been commissioned to go Does the world marvel at our authority? It should. Are we possessing something the world has never seen or heard before? Yes, we are. But the question lies in, do we share it? Do we demonstrate it? Do we manifest it? Yeah, some of the world and the religious leaders are already offended by us. But are they jealous and envious enough to want what we have? They should be. The world looks to us to understand life through the eyes of God. If we misrepresent the Lord, we give the world a warped perception of him. And if we choose not to represent him at all, the world will never know him. So may we be proactive and may we represent him well as ambassadors and representatives in his kingdom. And the second way we can go is we can go as kings in the kingdom of God. And the Lord reinforced this truth for me one day. I was praying and I was walking and I was just rejoicing and thanking the Lord with such a grateful heart that I could come boldly before his throne of grace to obtain his mercy and to find his grace to help in time of need because I was weighted down with needs of myself my family, and others are, excuse me, others around me. And as I was praying and praising him, all of a sudden I had a vision. And it was like an Esther moment. I saw the Lord extending his scepter to me. A scepter is a symbol of authority. And as I entered his courts and into his throne room and I reached out for the scepter, I placed my hand on his hand. And as I went to lift it and take it away, I felt him beckon to me and say, stay. Stay right here. Stay right here with the authority that I have given you and rule and reign with me. In Revelation, verse, in Revelation chapter one, verse six, the word of God decrees this. He has made us as kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Jesus Christ has made us to be kings and priests. 
A king and a priest is not just a label or a title that we bear, it is a role and a responsibility that we are called to carry out. And I think the church through the ages has pretty much understood the concept of priesthood, but we have a lot to understand and comprehend regarding the role of kingship. And very quickly, without a whole lot of time to develop this, but to understand that a priest operates in the rights of the kingdom, and a priest's posture is upward. All of these rights, all of these privileges, all of these benefits that are mine when I was transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, even as a babe in Christ, all of these rights are mine. All of the salvation, the the whole package of the spiritual, the soul and the body, complete wholeness is mine. This abundant life is mine, why? Because even as a babe, I'm an heir. I am a son and a daughter of the Most High God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The pain of the cross was his, the gain is mine. It was a divine exchange, a beautiful exchange which was paid through the cross with his precious blood. And I have the right as a priest to come before him bringing these situations to heaven, standing in the gap, interceding, praying for those that I love, for circumstances, for those that have asked me to pray, to pray for myself. I have the right as a king to come and receive those blessings, those privileges that are mine. But a king has a downward posture. Priests go upward posture, kings have a downward posture. Kings operate in responsibilities. Priests in rights, kings in responsibilities. We have a responsibility to pick up the authority that is ours and to rule and reign as mature sons. These kings are mature sons. They are intimate with the Father, they understand his word, and the decrees that they are going to make now as a king. Kings make decrees, and the decrees that they are going to make now align with his word. They align with truth. And it is a downward posture, bringing now heaven to earth. Are you with me on that? Okay. Romans 5.17 decrees this. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one man, which would have been Adam, much more than those who receive abundance of grace in the gift of excuse me, the gift of righteousness, will reign, will reign in life. Not in the here to come, it's here now, life, this is life. Will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. We will reign through this backup plan. We will reign through the authority that we have in Christ Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit working through us. We gotta get beyond the mentality of Doris Day's song, Que Sarah, Sarah. And I'm probably dating myself again, but you remember her song, Que Sarah, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que Sarah, Sarah. That is not a truth. 
The future is ours to see. It is laid out in the word of the Lord. And he gives us discernment and spiritual revelation through his word and through his spirit that we can see with spiritual eyes. We can hear with spiritual ears. And as kings, we can begin to proclaim and decree and bring those things that are ours in the heavenlies down to the earth. For we have been given keys The Bible says we have been given keys. Keys are symbolic of authority. A key can open a door and unlock it, or a key can shut a door and lock it. And with the keys of authority that we have, we have the authority to decree in accordance with truth as mature sons and daughters operating in love, we have the authority to decree. We have the authority to open this door and unlock it and bring down the spiritual blessings, bring down the promises, bring down those things that are ours in the heavenly realm. And we also have the authority to lock that door so that the powers of darkness cannot penetrate and cannot cause havoc and confusion. And if we look at Matthew 16 through chapter 16 verses 18 and 19, it it reveals to us this concept of authority. And we're going to read from verses 18 and 19, but let me just set the stage here. Jesus Christ is with his disciples and it's very strategic where he's at where he's asking them these questions and the responses they're given. His location is intentional. He's at, and I'm not sure how to pronounce it 100%, but Syriae Philippi, which was a very strong, oppressive, demonic stronghold. And he turns to his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And his disciples say, oh, well some say you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. Oh, some say you're Elisha or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Hmm, that's interesting, Christ is saying. So that's what the world says about me. But that's not the question. The question here is, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds and says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and, okay, Peter, That revelation didn't come from within yourself. That revelation came from on high. That revelation came from my Father. That revelation came from a different realm of the Spirit. Not the realm of this world, but the realm of my kingdom. And you know what, Peter? Upon that kind of truth, upon that kind of revelation, that you're willing to believe and speak what is revealed to you from on high rather than what the world says or thinks or speaks. It's upon that kind of rock, that kind of church that that I'm gonna build, it's upon that kind of rock, that kind of truth, that kind of perception into the spiritual realm coming from on high that I'm gonna build my church. And you know what? When I build my church upon that kind of truth, that my kings are able to see from my perspective and from on high, the gates of hell aren't gonna be able to prevail against it. And Jesus says in verse 18, and I also say to you, he's talking to Peter now, because Peter had this revelation, this discernment from on high, that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this truth, On this kind of revelation, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
And you know what? I'm gonna give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. How do we do this? We just speak. We make decrees from our mouth that align with truth. As God grants us revelation into the spiritual realm and it aligns with truth, we begin to speak truth into situations and there's no better way to speak truth than to have the word hit in your heart and memorize that you can just speak the word of life. Remember there's life and there's life and death, there's power in our tongue. So we got to bring what's up out of the abundance of our heart because out of the mouth proceeds the abundance of our heart and we just gotta speak and we gotta utter these decrees. Words that are spoken that have originated in the spiritual realm, words that are spoken that originate from truth and from his word. To decree, we're decreeing, we're, we're an official, a decree is an official order issued by a king, one who has legal authority and we have been given authority in Christ. D-E-C-R-E-E, I don't know what to decree, just declare everything Christ redeemed, earthly and eternally, earnestly and expectantly. For the center of the whole power of the universe sits at the right hand of God the Father. And do you know what Ephesians tells us? We're seated there in the heavenly places with him in the spiritual realm. And to understand the full impact of this kingship, we got to move beyond his crucifixion and his resurrection. Everybody talks about his crucifixion and his resurrection and the cross. Absolutely, yes and amen, it's our right. But we have got to move beyond it and not let it go, but take it with us and now include his ascension and where he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. That becomes our kingship and our responsibility. And one day when I was trying to decree and trying to just um, use the authority that is mine in Christ as this king, I was asking the Lord for revelation. I wanted to see clearly how I was to pray into this matter and into the circumstances and then decree his word of life and truth over it. Are you with me? So as I was praying, I was gonna ask the Lord for clarity of my spiritual eyes that I could see with clarity and have clear vision. And all of a sudden I felt myself coming out of my lips say, cloud my vision, Lord. And I'm like, ooh. That was a slip of my tongue. Lord, forgive me, I repent. I don't want clouded vision. I want, and it came out again, clouded vision. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And all of a sudden, it became rhema. It became life to me. I was to see everything through the cloud of his glory. He was to cloud my vision that I would see nothing but his glory. His power, his presence, his everything operating in the midst of the circumstance that I was looking at. And we need to understand that we are in a spiritual war out there. We're not fighting flesh and blood. 
We're fighting principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and all spiritual wickedness in high places. We need to take up our role as ambassadors. We need to take up our role as kings in the kingdom of God and not fight for a victory, but fight to enforce our Lord's victory that he has already won because the enemy would try to deceive us and make us believe that we are defeated, but we are triumphant. He leads us through Jesus Christ in triumphant victory. And I close with this. The Lord didn't ask or instruct or commission us to do something that can't be done. He has given us his full authority. He is the backup plan. We operate under his authority, and he has given us authority to advance his kingdom upon this earth. We have to take up that authority, and we have to go with it, understanding that um, the commissions that have been given to us we're able to do because we operate in the power of Holy Spirit. It is his anointing, it is his power. The authority of Jesus Christ releases the power of Holy Spirit in our lives. In Isaiah um, chapter 61, verses one through three, and I know um, this was a prophetic towards Christ, but it's a prophetic towards us in Christ as well. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of prison doors to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to comfort those who mourn in Zion, we can give them beauty for ashes. We can give them the oil of joy for mourning. We can give them the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they too may be trees of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he would be glorified thereby. The world needs us. The world awaits us. We were born for such a time as this. And you know, sometimes that just becomes religious jargon, excuse me, jargon to us, born for such a time as this. But it's the truth. His word declares that each one of us through the ages was placed on the earth at an appointed time to be a part of the story, his story, history, his story that continues to unfold as we advance his kingdom upon this earth. Before Jesus comes again, may we be the company of believers. May we be the church of Jesus Christ in this hour that will rise up with the authority and utilize the backup plan for ours is to do the work that God intended for us to do to advance his kingdom. May we represent him well as ambassadors and kings in the kingdom of God so be it all men, but the question remains and always will be, do we do what we already knew?